Welcome back to The Matrix Podcast, a podcast written and produced by Athens High School students. My name is Clay Boninger. And I'm Jose Bickley. In our last episode, we talked with Dr. Brittany Peterson about prison systems and their effects on prisoners. Moreover, we discussed the agency that prisoners are able to exercise while in prison. Finally, we talked with Dr. Peterson about her personal experiences with researching inside prisons. Today, we'll be speaking with Judge Grace, an Athens County Municipal Court judge. Judge Grace will talk with us about how the drug crisis in America affects his job and the role local courts play in helping addicts. After our interview with Judge Grace, we will review each of our individual episodes. Also, we will discuss what we've taken away from each podcast. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Certainly. My name is Todd Grace. I'm judge in Athens County Municipal Court. Uh, Can you please describe your career path for us? Yes. So I was an attorney and am an attorney. Went to law school, of course. After law school, I came back to Athens. I had attended school here. My wife and I came back. We had just had our first child. I started in private practice. Shortly after that, I started as a magistrate in juvenile court and then Four years ago, a little over four years ago, I started as Athens County Municipal Court Judge. So how has your job changed with the emergence of the opioid epidemic in rural Ohio? It's a little bit more complicated, I think, than that in that the epidemic has been emerging for a very long time, and it has been continually adjusting what we have to face in the type of cases that come into the court system. More and more we see issues that are coming up through drug abuse, opioids being one of those areas, and we're trying to find ways to address those issues, help the individuals who are addicted to resolve those issues as much as possible, and hopefully through that reduce the crimes that are happening as part of the drug addiction. Sure. How do you adjudicate cases that involve people that are addicted to drugs? Most of what I handle in municipal court is going to be the misdemeanor level offenses. And what that means is opioid crimes, if they're charged specifically for the opioid issue, are filed as felonies. Those may come briefly through municipal court, but they are not adjudicated in municipal court. There are secondary charges that happen on a regular basis. Um, Let me rephrase that, try to make it as clear as possible for people that don't know how the court system works. People will have a lot of issues of revolving around their substance abuse, and a lot of those are expressed through crimes of theft, crimes of violence, and might be driving under the influence. What municipal court will address would be those theft charges, the assault charges, the domestic violence charges, the OVI charges. So we see a lot of those cases come through. A lot of times we can identify that there is a substance abuse issue, opioid again being one of those. And then when it is possible to identify that that is a root cause to the behavior that led them to being in the court system, then we can get them connected with the resources. There are quite a few local resources available for counseling, for Medicaid-assisted, medical-assisted options for treatment, and that would be like your Vivitrol programs. And then we try to help them to address those issues. How does the type of drug that the person is addicted to affect how the case is handled? Well, again, depending on the drug, if they're charged for the drug offense itself, if it is a felony level offense that goes through a different court and they have different resources that are available through there. The 
other answer to that question is that different drugs will have a different expression in the individual. Um, some drugs you're more likely to act out violently. Some drugs you're more likely to have a withdrawal. And so we try to address all of those issues and it, it will be impacted by the way that that individual is responding to the drug of choice that they have. Could you give us a few examples of crimes that might originate from someone's drug abuse? So that goes back to the answer I gave a few moments ago that would include things like theft offenses, people stealing in order to fund their drug habits. Uh, You'll have the offenses of violence where people who are perhaps going through withdrawal or are looking for the drug might become violent towards those around them. You can have that in a straight assault charge. You can have it in a domestic violence situation. You can also have the drug-related offenses like the OVI where somebody is driving while impaired. All of those are related to the the drug use. In your opinion, how does southeastern Ohio compare to other regions in Ohio in terms of drug abusers and or cases involving those addicted? I suppose this one's actually kind of a complicated question to answer in that there are expressions of drug use throughout the state and the nation and the the world and each area will have higher frequency of various drugs depending on what is most readily available and at the price points available to the people that are using them. Some of the opioid issues that you see have a lot to do also with people that were receiving prescriptions for medication that then with the the restrictions on those medications they might have turned to other drugs uh, in a similar vein like turn to a heroin to replace an Oxycontin type of an addiction. So they're different, but they're also very, very similar in the focus becomes how do you address these substance abuse issues? How do you address the addiction? What resources are available? And I think you actually asked about this in a little bit, but uh, some of the resources are actually increasing right now because of the attention coming to the opioid crisis. And that those resources give us some options to try to address the addiction in new ways. Actually, one of the things that's happening is that the resources are being made available to places that are coming up with creative uses for those resources to try to find better and better ways of handling the addiction and the abuse. What laws have been proposed in Athens County that would help and or hurt those addicted to drugs? So Athens County doesn't have a a lot of authority to impose laws. Very few laws come through Athens City that would have much impact on this. The majority of these come through the state level, and that means that we are following state code for most of the charges that come through. And uh, why did you choose to say no on Ohio State Issue 1 back in 2018 regarding modifying uh, drug charges and penalties? State issue one was a complicated issue, and it was unfortunately very much simplified in what they had attempted to pass. It was also a half measure, and I'll try to explain each of those parts because it it is complicated. First of all, what state issue one was going to do was to reduce some of the penalties that were associated with drug convictions. It was not going to make them legal. It was going to move some of the offenses away from felony level offenses, And there are certain resources that are available at felony court for those cases that can be helpful for treating the addiction and treating the abuse issues that go into it. 
In addition to that, it was going to remove the ability for a lot of the cases that would be coming through municipal court where I am to the point where it would be very difficult, if not impossible, if issue one had passed to have had any enforcement of court orders on people that had those charges. What that really means is the court tries to be helpful. The court tries to find ways to get people into treatment, tries to find ways to help them to be motivated. And it is unfortunately true that most people who are suffering from drug abuse and drug addiction are not already motivated to address those issues. They don't want to go to an inpatient treatment. They don't want to deal with the withdrawal issues. They don't want to deal with all of the consequences of going through and trying to move away from the addiction. That doesn't mean they want to be addicted, but they don't want to deal with the other consequences of changing those behavior patterns. So the court is in the position of being asked to help to address the addiction issues. One of the only ways we have to do that is through enforcing our court orders. So taking away the ability to enforce the court orders but still sending cases through the court system is not, it it doesn't have the value of either position. It's not a decriminalization where you would no longer have a conviction, you would no longer have the loss of job opportunities. There would still be those consequences, but then it takes away the ability for the court to encourage participation in the treatment programs and i've seen a lot of people that come through the court system who are struggling with drug abuse and drug drug addiction who start out they do not want to address it they don't want to go to the treatment they don't want to go on vivitrol or whatever the needed approach is for their situation who are able to be encouraged to take those steps and they'll come back and we have a specialized doc i'll explain that in just a few minutes but they'll come back and they will very clearly thank the court, thank the providers that are working with the court, and some of them are as clear as you could possibly hope that they could be, that this has saved their lives, that being encouraged through the court system to go into those treatment options was the only way that they were going to do it, that they were not ready to make that decision on their own. So I did not want the courts to lose the ability to help get people into the treatment to hopefully address the underlying issues. What do you think about cases involving Big Pharma that have been decided in favor of citizens that have been affected by opioids? So this is really outside of what I do. I have primarily misdemeanor cases for my criminal docket. I have a very limited docket for civil cases. Civil would be monetary issues like what was happening with Big Pharma. And those are going through much larger dollar amounts that could possibly come through my court. These are examples of the disincentives available through our society, through the civil complaints that can be filed, the civil actions. And the, the one thing I can say is because of these, there is more com- money coming into the local systems that can be used specifically to help address opioid in particular, but also other substance abuse addictions and abuse issues. So I am happy to have those resources available to our community and many other communities that are fighting through these issues. And what would you like to see done regarding the treatment of victims of opioid abuse? We discussed a little bit earlier before you came in some of the creative approaches that uh, some of the recipients of the, the funding that's coming through the state level, some of it through the big pharma settlements, some of it just through funding through the state, that I guess my real hope would be that 
these courts and these providers that are all receiving this money, I hope that somebody is going to find something that works better than what we currently mm -hmm. have. What currently is available, the treatment options, has a, a high failure rate. People that go into even residential treatment are not all that likely to be successful the first time through the program. Uh, some of the reports I've heard, generally it takes two to three times at least for people going through what is a very restrictive, time-intensive, life-changing activity to go through treatment at that level when you're talking about residential treatment, and it still has a high failure rate. Uh, the impact that the drugs have on those who are addicted to them is really hard to explain to somebody who hasn't seen it firsthand. But when you see people coming through the court system that I know some of them really want to get out of the situation they're in, but the challenges of getting past the addiction, dealing with the withdrawal, and then add to that that these are learned behaviors that when they're doing well, they might be able to abstain. But when they run into a problem in their life, their coping mechanism largely was to go back to the drugs. And they're very, very likely to relapse if there is a life disruption. Uh, it can be loss of a job, it can be relationship issues, it can be any number of things that causes stressors in their lives, and those who have these addiction issues are very likely, and we know this, to go back to the drugs at that point in time. So we have a relapse, we have the, the potential that they're going to harm themselves pretty seriously because they may or may not have learned how their tolerance has changed, and they may not be able to use the same amount of drug as they used before safely, safely being a very relative term in this mm -hmm. situation. But some people will, if they relapse, overdose because they were used to using a certain amount of a drug and try to use the same amount and their body no longer can handle it. So there, this is a really complicated issue and there are a lot of things that are happening on a regular basis where people are trying to find better and better treatment mechanisms for this. So go back to the answer. I hope we find something better, something more effective than what we currently have. If not, we will continue to deal with the, we, we through the court, we through the treatment centers, will try our best to help people to address these issues knowing that there's going to be a high failure rate. You mentioned a specialized docket earlier. Would you like to elaborate on that? The specialized docket, we have two in municipal court. There's also a veterans court over at Common Pleas. And we have substance abuse and mental illness, and we have a DUI court. These are very much focused on the substance elements uh, with different focuses for the three different programs. Each of these has connections with providers through the substance abuse and mental health agencies. We have a regular docket of individuals who have been fighting with these issues that will come in. I see my participants on a weekly basis for one of the courts and on a rotating basis for the other court. And constant contact with the providers, constant contact with the court where we're trying to help people to stay on track, help them to learn what resources are available, stay motivated to use those resources, and then hopefully correct the behaviors. Um, one of the really gratifying parts of having these is when participants reach the end of the program, we have a graduation for them. They get to speak to the other participants who are at various stages throughout the program. And a, a very common comment that's made as they're giving that graduation speech to the crowd is basically that they did not want to be there, 
that they were resistant, they didn't want to deal with the, the consequences of their prior actions of the addiction. But once they reached the point where they started to engage more fully and accept that they needed the help is when things started to change for them. And then there's a, generally an expression of gratitude for how much it's changed their lives to be able to move past. Nobody ever really gets completely past it <laughs> once they reach this level, but to move past it where they could return to a functioning level in their lives. And it's really nice to see the people who are reaching that point and give them an opportunity to express that to other people as well. Well, thank you, Judge Grace, for coming on to talk to us. This was really insightful. Thank you for having me. Now, we'd like to discuss our trilogy as a whole. In our first episode, we spoke with Dr. Berkeley Franz and Dr. Daniel Skinner about their book, Not Far From Me. Additionally, we talked about the opioid crisis in America. We conversed about the negative effects the opioid crisis has on individuals. I found this interview especially interesting because of the stories that we heard from Dr. Franz and the insight on the big pharma cases that Dr. Skinner gave us. There's one story in particular that I found inspiring. In Portsmouth, Ohio, a group of high school students were writing collaborative poems. These poems were about how it's like to grow up in Portsmouth. The high school students also spoke of the hope they have for the future. In our second podcast, we spoke with Dr. Brittany Peterson about the prison system in the, in the U.S., Dr. Peterson helped us understand the agency that the prisoners are able to exercise. The interview with Dr. Peterson was especially enlightening to me. Her research in prisons helped give extraordinary insight on life in prisons. One thing I found interesting was the differences in the way the prisons treated prisoners between prisons in Norway and in America. Yeah, the difference between the two is astonishing. Norway treats prisoners as people that need rehabilitated. American prisons focus more on punishing people. This is why Norway's recidivism rate, or the rate of convicted criminals to reoffend, is so much higher in America than Norway. According to the Pell Center for International Relations and Public Policy, Norway has a 20% recidivism rate, and the United States has a 52% recidivism rate. Today, we discussed the role local courts can play in assisting those affected by drugs with Judge Todd Grace. Further, Judge Grace shared with us his opinions on Issue 1, proposed state law that was going to change drug possession and use offenses into misdemeanors with no jail time. We started this project because we both feel strongly about the opioid crisis and hope that this series might help educate our listeners. In order to do our best to educate our listeners, we decided to break this series down into three basic ideas. What the opioid crisis is and how it affects people, what the prison system looks like in the midst of the crisis, and how the court system is addressing the drug crisis. First, we wanted to educate our listeners about what the opioid crisis is. This gave us a strong foundation for the podcast and allowed us to explain its effects with minimal confusion. By showing how it affects groups of people and individuals, we hope to put a face behind the crisis. We also wanted to help our listeners think of victims of drug abuse as people who are struggling through a problem rather than the more negative view our society puts on these people. By doing so, we believe we'd be able to show the scope of the problem and put aside any prejudices or misinformation our listeners may have had. Second, we decided to move away from the opioid crisis as a whole and narrow our viewpoint onto prisons. Many individuals who abuse drugs at some point go to prison. We wanted to discuss how the American prison system helps or doesn't help victims of drug abuse who end up incarcerated. This would show the way the prison system puts aside drug abuse victims and punishes them rather than attempt to treat them. Third, 
We wanted to move on from prisons and talk about the way people get incarcerated in the first place, the court system. By discussing how the court system attempts to help drug abuse victims, we believed we could help our listeners understand what role judges play in the American drug crisis. This would better help our listeners who can vote to choose judges and policymakers who work towards aiding drug abuse victims. The drug crisis needs to be talked about, and people need to be informed about every aspect of it. Covering everything would take more time than we can allow. We hope this podcast has piqued the curiosity of our listeners. For more information about the opioid crisis in America, go to drugabuse.gov. We'd like to thank Judge Todd Grace for coming in to speak with us about his experience as a judge. We'd also like to give a special thanks to our previous guests, Dr. Berkeley Franz, Dr. Daniel Skinner, and Dr. Brittany Peterson, as well as their sound technician, Sarah Lewis. Thanks, Sarah. Our music is written and produced by none other than Quick Nibby. This has been the Matrix Podcast. Thank you.